It's been almost a week since Halloween, and you can't believe the amount of comments I've been receiving about whether Catholics should celebrate Halloween. Lots to talk just about that. But I want to talk about saints, since really Halloween is the eve of All Saints Day, and then the next day is All Souls Day, the day when we remember all the dead, those souls who are in purgatory. That's because we believe that the souls in purgatory can use our prayers so that they can get out of purgatory and go into heaven. And so I've been thinking that the saints are not just those whom the church has canonized or recognized as saints, those people who've been extra virtuous or heroic in their virtue. Saints are all those in heaven, and that includes all the ones who got in through the back door, through purgatory. Let me explain. If I were to die today, I can guarantee that I won't go straight to heaven. But after some time in purgatory, I would hope that I would end up in heaven. So heaven is for everyone, not just those perfect people. Do you know where I'm going with this? There are no limited seats in heaven. Heaven is for everyone, and we are all created for sainthood. It doesn't matter if we're perfect, or if you're rich, or poor, or young, or old, or if you struggle with living a virtuous life, being a saint is not a calling just for a few. It is what we have all been created for. All we need to do is say yes to being fully who we really are. So keep at it, and I'll see you in heaven. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Today, Mark Matthews returns to tell us what's good about Hollywood. And as always, Andrew and Sheridan will be with us uh, a little later. And here with me is Chris Dimitrenko. Now, Chris, what can we look forward to in our news segment? Well, everyone's heard of Occupy uh, oh, Wall yes. Street and the spinoffs, um, Occupy Toronto and even Occupy Vancouver. Yes. Uh, we're going to tell you about Occupy. The Vatican's unfortunately spilled over to the church and uh, particularly in Vancouver. And we'll tell you what happened in Vancouver. Also, um, the Catholic leader in the Ukraine is speaking out against injustice uh, in his own country. And we're going to give you the latest update on um, the church and its negotiations, if you can call it that, with the Society of St. Pius X, the, okay. the traditionalist group. Okay, mm -hmm. very good. So details on those stories are coming up yeah. very, very shortly. Now, Chris, when was the last time you read a Catholic book? Well, I'm, I'm reading one right now. Okay. I'm reading a Scott Hahn book about uh, Opus yeah, Dei. Yeah, he's a popular, mm -hmm. popular author. Now, um, it's a little more difficult when we're looking for Catholic fiction. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a lot. A lot there, and certainly not a lot of Catholic fiction for young people. But today we're going to meet uh, John McNichol. He's the author of the Young Chesterton Chronicles, which is a sci-fi adventures series. So, sci-fi, really? Sci-fi. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, and singer-songwriter Chris Bray just received two Covenant Awards at the Gospel Music uh, Awards last week. So we'll be speaking with him in our second half hour. So here he is with the title song of his new album, Hope Arise. To the one who carries the burden alone, God is near. To the one who has no more strength to go on, God is here. Faithful is our Lord, 
Chris Bray with Hope Arise from his latest album, Let Hope Arise. And in about 15 minutes, what's good about Hollywood with Mark Matthews. But first, Chris is still here with our news. Well, Pedro, one week ago, the Vatican released a major document on global financial reform. You heard about that, right? Now, some saw parallels with the Occupy Wall Street movement, but this hasn't warmed some of the Occupy protesters to the church. And in fact, a breakaway group marched on Vancouver's cathedral, and they called themselves Occupy the Vatican. Now, Occupy Vancouver would not endorse the demonstration, but some of the protesters of Occupy the Vatican were also from Occupy Vancouver, so it was definitely a breakaway group. Now, they demanded help for those harmed by residential schools run by the church. And uh, this was last Sunday. Police officers were standing guard Uh, Outside the cathedral, according to newspaper reports, the Archbishop of Vancouver had requested increased security. And also, six Knights of Columbus members also blocked the entrance. And so regardless of what you think of the Occupy movement, uh, good for the Knights of Columbus for protecting the churches. Uh, Now, going uh, to the Ukraine, and myself, I'm of Ukrainian descent, so I pay a little bit of attention to what's going on there. 
Uh, the imprisonment of a former prime minister of the Ukraine sparked global condemnation. Well, um, the leader of Catholics in that country is coming to her defense. Now, in 2004, a little history here, the Orange Revolution swept through Ukraine. And Yulia Tymoshenko was one of its leaders and later became prime minister. But she now faces prison for seven years for misuse of funds. Now, the Canadian government, among many others, said that her prosecution was influenced by apparent political bias. And the Catholic leader, Archbishop Sviatoslav Shevchuk, is joining the international outcry. He's the major archbishop of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. Uh, now there's no uh, patriarch, but he's essentially a figure like a patriarch for this Eastern Rite Church. Right. Now he says that often innocent people are in prison in, in Ukraine, and he describes Timoshenko's trial as only the tip of the iceberg, and he fears that Soviet-era tactics are being used to excuse the guilty and condemn the innocent. Now, one more story today, Pedro. That's about the Society of St. Pius X. We've talked a lot about this on the radio. And, uh, and for those of you who um, are less familiar, this is a group of traditionalist Catholics who are not in communion with the Church, uh, and they disagree with the Church on, on a number of issues, uh, a lot of them related to Vatican II. And anyhow, there have been doctrinal discussions between uh, the, the Church's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, so the Church body related to uh, doctrine, and this, this breakaway group, so that they could finally end the only real schism that's been in the Church since Vatican II. The Pope has made a priority to try and uh, bring this group back into the fold, so to speak. But essentially, they're, they're in limbo, because some of the bishops who had been excommunicated, well, those excommunications have been lifted, but all the priests and the bishops with this group have no authority to administer the sacraments. So they're seeking a canonical solution, so some kind of official status in the Church. And in September, uh, the Vatican gave the leaders of this group a statement that they had to agree to to get canonical status. Now, what's in that statement? What did they have to agree to? Well, that's been a secret, which is remarkable in and of itself that, that no one knows yet. But uh, it was finally revealed this past week that it seems that the Society of St. Pius X uh, has rejected the statement and the schism continues. Uh, now, there's still a little bit of intrigue involving this. The, the district superior of the uh, UK chapter uh, of the society, Father Paul Morgan, he had uh, written a letter saying that uh, the basis for the agreement, so what was in this secret statement, was that the Society of St. Pius X had to accept uh, the Novus Ordo Mass, so the Mass that, that you know, most of us right. uh, uh, practice, mm -hmm. and, uh, and also uh, accept Vatican II as it was expressed in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And, uh, and Father Paul Morgan says that uh, among uh, the Society of St. Pius X leaders who met afterwards to talk about this, the consensus was that, uh, that the statement they had to agree to was clearly unacceptable. And so we're not going to be seeing any practical agreement in the future. Hmm. Now that statement was subsequently removed from their website. The, the head leaders of the Society of St. Pius X overall uh, said that only they're really entitled to make a communique about it, but it's notable that they didn't deny uh, what this uh, British district superior said. Wow. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I think I'm not the only one who wants to know what the contents of that document was. Mm -hmm. So that's good to, to hear. Thank you very much. Krista Matrinko, our Salt and Light Radio News producer. 
Let us know what you think about what you hear on this program. Send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. My name is Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And coming up is Sheridan with updates from across the country. But before that, our Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. How's everything going, Pedro? It's going very well. Thank you, Andrew. Very well. Okay. Yes. Nice. So, um, it's all about St. Martin of Tours this week, Pedro. Okay. Uh, I don't know much about St. Martin of well, Tours. Well, we will. We will. So, uh, St. Martin was born in the region of Hungary. For those of you who were um, were wondering where he was really born, Hungarian. it's Hungarian. Wow. Yeah, so it's worth noting that his father was, um, he was a senior officer um, with the tribunal, with the Imperial Horse Guard, which was a unit of the Roman army. And his father uh, ended up being stationed in Pavia. Mm-hmm. in northern Italy. Okay. So, and that's where Martin grew up. That's why we think he's Italian. Yeah. So, okay. so many people have this conception that St. Martin of Tours is Italian, but really his roots yeah. are brought from Hungary. So, at uh, the age of 10, St. Martin went to a Christian church and he went against the wishes of his parents. His parents didn't want him to um, go anywhere near the Christian church. And it was then that he uh, decided to become a candidate for baptism. Hmm. But, you know, Fast track eight years later, it wasn't until he was 18 that he was baptized. So, um, St. Martin went on to be a soldier. And while Martin was a soldier, he experienced a, an interesting vision um, that I want to share with you. Um, and this vision stands out the most when we think about his life. Mm-hmm. So, this dream had St. Martin at the gates of the city of San Diego with his soldiers, with his fellow soldiers, when he met a beggar. So he impulsively, um, he cut his own cloak, his own uh, uh, military cloak that he had in half, and he shared it with the beggar. Now that night, Martin dreamed of Jesus wearing the half cloak that he had given away. So um, Martin envisioned Jesus saying to the angels, here is Martin, the Roman soldier who is not baptized. He has clad me. And in another story, in another dream, uh, when Martin woke, his cloak was restored and the miraculous cloak was preserved among the relic uh, collection of the Merovingian kings of the Franks. So, you know, Martin was really taken b- back by this dream. Like if, if I had a dream like yeah, that, I, know, that I would kind of cool. wake up being yeah. uh, a little uh, struck. So yes. he was struck by the dream and he knew that he had to be baptized. So that's why he got baptized mm. at 18. So um, he got baptized in the year of 312. That's an important year in Europe uh, because Christianity had been made a legal religion. That's right. So he's so, very early. Oh, yeah. 300. Yeah. So um, when we go back to uh, just talking a little bit more about um, St. Martin as a soldier, uh, he became a soldier at the age of 15. And um, as the son of a veteran officer, uh, he was required to join a cavalry. So, and in the year 334, he was stationed in Gaul. Uh, Gaul today is now known as, um, as Amiens, France. In France, yeah. So, St. Martin, you know, you don't have to be in Europe to celebrate St. Martin, uh, Pedro, because he has a strong, a very strong following in Latin America, in Colombia. Really? Um, not just Colombia, but in other places, but in yeah, Colombia in particular. Uh, San Martin de Loba 
is the name of a, of a municipality in the Bolivar Department of Colombia. Okay. So St. Martin, as I said, as San Martin de Loba, is the patron saint of Vasquez, mm -hmm. a small village in Colombia. Okay. So, and a little closer to home, me being Portuguese, he's pretty well celebrated in Portugal. For example, um, on his feast day, which is coming up very soon, families and friends gather around um, a, a fire, around a pit. Okay. And it's called a mogustos. Uh -huh. So, and it's, it's, it's very custom that, you know, when families and friends gather around, they eat roasted chestnuts and they drink wine and they drink something called aguape, which is, you know, it's a wine, but it's, it's more watered down than anything. Okay. So, um, interesting, interestingly enough, as, um, as I come to a close, Martin Luther was named after St. Martin. Really? Yeah. And he was baptized on November the 11th, which is... St. Martin's feast day. Okay. Um, so St. Martin died in central France in the year 397. Mm -hmm. And um, when we talk about Luther, um, Luther, uh, Martin Luther and Lutheran congregations, many Lutheran congregations are named after St. Martin, um, which is unusual because he's a saint who does not appear in the Bible. Interesting. Yeah. So um, Martin of Tours, St. Martin of Tours is now the patron saint of the U.S. Army's Quartermaster Corps, um, and he has a medal in his name, and he's also the patron saint of the Church Girls Brigade and Church Lads. Well, there you go. Thank you very much. Martin of Tours, feast day November 11th. Yeah, not only do we remember our soldiers on November the 11th, yeah. we remember St. Martin. Interesting. So, St. Martin of Tours. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Andrew Santos, our uh, saint expert, and coming up, uh, next is what's good about Hollywood, so stick around. Hello everyone, this is Renee Bondi, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. You can email me at pedro at saltandlighttv.org. And coming up is Sheridan with her diocesan update, but first... What's good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary. Hello, Mark. Hello, Pedro. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. Sunny weather in uh, California? Oh, very sunny. Uh, yeah, it was like 31 degrees Celsius here no, last week. Stop, so how stop. are things there, no, Pedro? No, they're not 31 degrees. <laughs> 30, maybe Believe 31. it or not, I actually miss the snow. I, w I wouldn't mind having a winter, just not a long winter. Yeah, that's the thing. It might be 31 Fahrenheit, actually. <laughs> No, yeah, we dipped down. We dip, we dip down to zero already. Sad. Anyway, so what? Uh, any news around town? Um, a quick follow-up. Um, I was telling you last time how Metanoia is currently filming Pepper Busby. Right. Um, and Metanoia is the are the people that came out with Bella. Yes. Um, and they are they are almost done. I think they have another week or two of production. So uh, keep them in your prayers. They said filming has been going really well, so that's a very good thing. Okay. So. And uh, I have a, a piece of hot gossip for you. Okay. Um, you may, don't ever let it be said that I am not plugged in to, the, to Hollywood around here. Yeah, lots of parties. Um, yeah. Tim Staples, the popular Catholic apologist, may have a small cameo background role in the film. In Pepper Busby. In Pepper Busby. Oh, it might okay. even be a speaking line, too. Wow. So. Yeah, 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 I should try to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you were down here, you know, I, yeah. I could try and work my connections and 
get you a small roll. Okay, so, so Tim Staples fans, uh, pray for this film. So that's yeah. just a quick update. So Pepper Busby by Metanoia, that's the film about the, 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 the unusual eight-year-old boy that struggles to, to bring his ba- father back from World War II, right? And yes. filming in yes. Mexico. Okay, cool. That, so, is, that is it, yeah. So okay. yeah, uh, the message here, please keep it in your prayers. As they yes, say. nice. Okay. Yes. Any other updates? Um, the next little tid that I have for you uh, is a film, Snowmen, um, that was just had a very limited theatrical release down here. Um, and it is a film that is distributed by Empower Pictures. Right. Um, now, Empower Pictures was founded by Steve McAvity, mm-hmm. um, who was the producer on The Passion of the Christ, um, Braveheart, and a whole bunch of Mel Gibson films. Yes. Um, and they, they, they're basically tr- seeking to do good value-driven films down here in Hollywood. So um, a couple of years ago, they had a film called The Stoning of Soroya M, yes. uh, and that did very well in the festival circus. Yes. Circuit. Yeah, no, it's yeah. an excellent film. Yeah. So um, so they, they, they have uh, their fingers in a lot of uh, pots these days. Uh, is that the expression, fingers in pots? Yeah, sure. Sure, we'll work for it. They're working on a lot of things. Um, and they also are uh, helping co-financer, co-produce another film called The Machine Gun Preacher. Um, and I mean, this is Guns and God. I mean, this, this film looks really rad. I haven't seen it, but um, it's the trailer for it looks fantastic. Yeah, I saw the, uh, I saw, Sorry, I, I saw the trailer, and yeah, it looks it's 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 strange, but it's based on a real story. So, and you know how they say, you know, sometimes reality is stranger than fiction. Y- yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's it's outlandish. It's um. Uh, supposedly the inspirational true story of Sam Childers, who uh, was a former, I guess, criminal, I think Hell's Angels type or something like that, yeah. uh, and under, undergoes a, a huge transformation of character and decides to go help build an orphanage down in Africa. So, uh, And while he's there, sort of gets involved with civ- uh, civil freedom fighters and things like that. So, And it stars Gerard Butler. So, Who's um, excellent, this, yes. Yeah, and this, this movie has already come out, so if you haven't seen it, go see it. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm not going to say more other than machine gun preacher kind of says it all. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. I'm just like, wow, the name, what a, what a title. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, and then the other the other film that I wanted to mention, um, and I have not seen this, but I've talked to people who've seen it. It's a film called October Baby, uh-huh. um, and it's basically a story about a, a girl or a woman who is a survivor of abortion. And she goes on a journey to discover her past and where she came from. Um, and the reviews I've heard is that it's it's fantastic, um, and this could kind of be sort of like next year's Juno. Um, there's no official release date for it yet, but uh, supposedly it's tentatively around January of next year. Do you know so any? All, Sorry. all I'll say is just keep your eyes open for yeah, it. Yeah. Do you know any more details as to who wrote it, and is is it um, supposed it is, to be a pro-life movie? There are two uh, brothers, um, Andrew and John Irwin, uh, very, very talented, and I believe they were the writers and the directors. Don't quote me on the writers bit, but I know that they're uh, the directors of it. Now, would you say that, are they Christian? Is this a pro-life movie, or is it just a good story? I don't know. Um, And, and, you know, and even with a film like Juno, you know, I mean, none of these companies are ever going to come out and say that, hey, this is a pro-life film, because they feel like that's, you know, death to marketing. Um, But, I mean, if it has a pro-life message and it's a well-done film, I mean, that's the most important thing. It's just go see it, you know, promote it, show it to your friends. Okay, actually, we'll keep keep that on our radar. So, October Baby, hopefully to be released early next year. Hopefully in January next year. And uh, and keep it in also keep it in our prayers because maybe yes. it would be a good good movie. So thank you, Mark. Yes, thank you, Pedro. Keep attending those parties and bring us more news.
<laughs> I will. I'll keep my ears peeled. So there you got it. What's good about Hollywood with Mark Matthews? Mark Matthew, our undercover Hollywood missionary, he joined us on the phone from his home in L.A. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. You can find Salt and Light on Facebook and on Twitter. Our email address is radio at saltandlighttv.org and you can download our podcast at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And now it's time for our diocesan update. Hello, hello. Sheridan, hello. So uh, starting out of Vancouver, we've got the Archbishop's Annual Mass for Life. And that's going to be in about three weekends from now, uh, Saturday, November the 26th. And that'll be at Holy Rosary Cathedral. And the celebrant will be His Grace, the Most Reverend Michael Miller. And Mass will be at 7. Our rosary begins at 6.30. So check that out. Uh, you can go to rcav.org or Archdiocese of Vancouver's website. Yeah. Or 604-683-0281 to uh, call the Respect Life Office. And a reminder that 40, for, 40 Days for Life is ongoing. Right. And... Um, you know, that should be wrapping up soon, but you can still find out if there's something going on in your city at 40daysforlife.com. And there's 301 locations across North America. And you know what's really cool is two new countries have joined 40 Days for Life. That's uh, Germany and Argentina. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's right. And I think there's about 16 cities across Canada. So that's yes. also uh, the first time there's, there's so many. So that's great. So 40daysforlife.com. That's correct. And have you ever considered going to a Eucharistic Congress? Well, I've been to one. Yes. <laughs> yes, Quebec City, <laughs> 2008. But yeah, I'm hoping to go to Dublin, yeah. Yeah, so the last one was in Quebec City, and that was the 49th. And uh, the one coming up next will be in Dublin, Ireland. That will be the 50th International Eucharistic Congress. And it will actually coincide with 50 years since the beginning of Second Vatican Council. And the theme for this year's, sorry, the next year's, for next year's Eucharistic Congress is the Eucharist Communion with Christ and with one another, and that will be June the 10th through to the 17th. This is the second time that Ireland will be hosting the Eucharistic Congress. The last time was in 1932. And uh, if you haven't been to a Eucharistic Congress, it happens once every four years. It's a beautiful opportunity to draw closer to Christ, and it includes all kinds of things, pilgrimages to local shrines, Eucharistic procession, daily mass, powerful faith testimonies, and ongoing cultural activities. And, um, you know, it's expected that they'll have close to 80,000 people at the closing ceremony in Crow Park, and approximately 3,000 volunteers will work to host this gathering. So that's a tremendous mm -hmm. undertaking. They've got a great website. You can check out uh, IEC2012.ie to find out more. And they've also got great little um, YouTube videos at youtube.com forward slash IEC2012. And of course, you can check out your local diocesan listings to find out if there's a pilgrimage group leaving from your area. Mm -hmm. And if you would like to see a really special interview, I recommend going to sultanlighttv.org forward slash perspectives. There, Pedro is uh, interviewing and speaking with Kevin Doran, the Secretary General. So check that out and find out more about the International Eucharistic Congress. Yeah, that was a, a great uh, conversation with Kevin Doran. So yes. it's uh, worth going to saltandlighttv.org slash perspectives. And uh, just a reminder that John Michael Talbot is set to appear 
and that's going to be in the 22nd International Festival of Religious Song, and that's in Mississauga, Ontario, and that will be held at the John Paul II Cultural Center. And he's a very uh, popular Catholic recording artist and contemporary Christian musician. So that event runs from November the 18th through to the 20th and features three evenings of uh, quality music. But uh, John Michael Talbot will be appearing on Sunday, November the 20th. That'll be at 6 p.m. To find out more, go to festivalofsong.ca. And just a reminder again that uh, Catholic Christian Outreach Rise Up Conference is being held December the 28th through to January the 1st. So sign up. Um, it's Rise Up's is CCO's national conference. So it happens every year and it gathers about you know 600 university students from across Canada. Yeah, it's great. So we're telling you now so you can register. I was going to say that John Michael Talbot is going to be our featured artist uh, on this program next week. Yeah. So that'll be uh, preceding his uh, concert uh, the following week. So hopefully everybody can tune in. And check out ccocanada.ca for Rise Up. Yes. CCO Canada. That's the that's for Rise Up, getting our events all confused there. Thank you, Sheridan. Um, coming up in our second half hour, what was the last time you read a Catholic book? We're actually uh, looking at that topic. I'm going to be speaking with John McNichol, who's the author of the Young Chesterton uh, Chronicles series, and also Chris Bray, uh, singer-songwriter who just won two Covenant Awards. So that's coming up. So stick around. Welcome to Salt and Light Radio Part 2. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann. Now this week we asked, when was the last time that you read a Catholic book? And most answers involved non-fiction books, from Scott Hahn books to Theology of the Body to the Bible, and even Benedict's Light of the World and Jesus of Nazareth, and even a few C.S. Lewis. But not a lot of fiction, and especially not a lot of teen fiction. But those books do exist. So if you're a parent of teenage boys, for example, looking for good adventure books with a Catholic worldview, you need not look further. I'm now joined by John McNichol, author of the Young Chesterton series. John, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thanks a lot, Pedro. Really glad to be here. Okay, I'm hoping that people are intrigued because I have a really hard time explaining to people, you know, like one sentence, what, what these books are like. So how would you describe the Young Chesterton uh, Chronicles? Well, the simplest answer in one sentence, I'd say the Young Chesterton Chronicles, is a Catholic-themed series aimed at young men. Uh, it's got aspects of science fiction, it's got aspects of adventure, it's got giant robots and things blowing up, and all kinds of other good stuff that I know I enjoyed as a young man. So, okay, okay, so that's the, the science fiction adventure part I get. Where, where does the whole Chesterton thing come in? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. Chesterton I bring in not as an adult, as many people remember him, yeah. as many people have experienced him, but I bring him in as a 16-year-old young man. Yeah. Uh, I transplant him to the United States so that the, reviewer, the readers can more identify with him. And I bring in Chesterton in part because he offers uh, the chance for people to see the Catholic worldview in action in an adventure story. He's also counterbalanced by a person who was his real-life best friend, H.G. Wells, yeah. who basically had no sympathy for the Catholic faith at all, 
but it gives me lots of chances in between the adventure portions to have interplay between uh, the Catholic worldview and the secularist worldview. And it works out, it's worked out pretty well so far, if yeah. the uh, fans are any judge. No, that's good, and I want to ask you a little bit about that, but just again, sort of just to, so it's, it's G.K. Chesterton, but it's not really G.K. Chesterton, because it, this is how you imagine him in this made-up world uh, when he would had he been 16 or 17 years old. Precisely. Um, the genre is called, some folks call it alternative history. Some folks, the younger folks especially, call it steampunk. But basically what you have is uh, a character who is inhabiting the world that he created as an author. So the real-life G.K. Chesterton, one of his more famous characters is a fellow named Father Brown. I have him as a character in the right. novel as well. So things like that. <laughs> right, right. And, and then, I mean, and historically it takes place in the right time period of yes. when Chesterton would have been 16 years old. Exactly. But there are all so these... the late 1800s, early 1900s. I keep it kind of vaporous there just because I play with history a lot in the novel and uh, I have a lot of real and made-up characters interacting with each other and that gives me a lot of freedom to move and you know, the fans end up enjoying it. Well, too. I have to tell you because when I read the first one, The Tripods, I was confused. I think I had read a few chapters and then I started thinking, okay, is this the future? Is this the past? <laughs> Because you do combine, I mean, the whole science fiction aspect of it that makes you think like, well, this could be in the future because you have Martians invading and and, right. and there's this whole, you know, analytical engines that are steam powered, but they don't exist. They, I mean, they don't exist now. So, right. so that, how much of that is made up and how much of that is in the world of uh, G.K. Chesterton? Well, basically, I do keep some things that are definitely real world. There are several of G.K. Chesterton's more famous quotes that I work in to his adventures. Yes. Um, one of his more famous quotes, for example, he says, any dead thing can go with the current. It takes a live thing to, to swim upstream. Right. And at one point, the young Chesterton, he sees a dead fish floating along in the water, and he says, you know, I'm actually going to work. I'm going to give it a try, hmm. even though I feel discouraged. I'm going to swim against the stream and survive. Right. But the things that I make up, um, most alternate history, they'll pick one point in human history and change one big event. And for me, uh, I picked the notion where a gentleman named Babbage he would have made the first computer about a century early uh -huh. if he'd gotten enough funding for it. And so I change that particular event. And when you do something like that as an author, it frees up so many other deals. Uh, I was able to say, well, what would have happened then if the South had won the Civil War? How would that have changed the makeup of the United States? Right. And that gives me, say, a reason to transplant the character of Gilbert, as I've envisioned him, from Britain to the United States, where he ha where he starts off at least having his adventures. Yeah, well, he grows up in the states, but then he ends up living in London. Um, That's correct. How did you? And maybe this is the the hundred dollar, a hundred, a thousand, a million dollar question. How did you come up with this idea? Well, the simple simplest answer I can uh, give you is uh, I remember reading C.S. Lewis a long time ago, and he said that he wrote the books he would have read if he could have gotten his hands on them. Right. And as my boys were getting older, I started to look. I have seven children. As my sons particularly were getting older, I started looking for some type of reading material that would reinforce the values that my wife and I were trying to give them. Mm -hmm. And when it came to fiction, I found there was a really, there's a really good bunch of stuff that's aimed at girls, but there's not a whole lot for boys. So I right. thought, well, if, when I was that age, and I basically found myself having to kind of skip over all the bad stuff in the books I was reading, what kind of a book would I have liked to have read? What kind of thing would have reinforced the values my parents were trying to give me? And mm -hmm. so I thought, well, what about this? What about this? Well, why not get a, one of the more famous Catholic authors and make him a character so that when the young people are older, 
they'll end up gravitating towards his real life works, which is what I'd really like to see happen. Right, right. And I mean, the way you weave in some of these values that you talk about, like for example, uh, in in the second book, um, uh, The Emperor of North America, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like right, even right off the bat, there was this whole comment about eugenics that I thought, oh, that's interesting. And it's an interesting way to, to mention it without f- feeling like you're beating people over the head about pro-life. Or, or even exactly. uh, the whole uh, faith. There's a scene. Well, I think he's he's in the airship uh, with this drunken. Or, or I think Gilbert is, has been drinking a little too much. And there's this guy yeah. who's challenging the whole uh, thing about the church in the Middle Ages. And this whole little kind of just a few lines that it's like how you what you believe that you take on faith was an interesting way to bring that idea out. And even there was a, another segment where something about the rosary. The, the what why he. He might not even understand it, but Father Brown taught him, gave him the beads, and they've been useful. Um, so, so how did you? I guess the question: How do you weave in those ideas without making it seem like you're preaching to people? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, for me, I guess I just look again at what was effective for me when I was growing up, mm-hmm. and uh, the folks who were the most effective at witnessing to me didn't sit me down and lecture me for fifteen minutes. What they frequently would do is they would uh, just kind of tell me a little story illustrating a point. So when, for example, the character of Herb, who in real life we'd call him a flaming racist today, yeah. was very, very much so. Uh, I have a one scene you mentioned, I'll say with the rosary, where Herb is busily explaining why the Western European and specifically the British European is superior to all other races. Yeah, and he ends up essentially getting his clock cleaned. Not in a mean way. He doesn't get beaten up, but he is essentially shown that he is not superior to a porter who is of Chinese extraction. That's right. Who is saying the ro- who has a rose set of rosary beads sticking out of his pocket. Yeah. So for me, that basically is a good way of linking and saying, you know, in real life, I've seen events like that happen. Most of us have seen events like that happen in real life. And if you just have a logical conclusion to a person's um, speech, if you have a logical conclusion to a person's actions. Usually that speaks way more than actually sitting a person down. Uh, I had one fellow who calls it the G. Davy way of trying to get a point across, you know, uh-huh. or Goliath. You can remember the old Davy and Goliath shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Goliath, the big dog, is explaining to Davy, gee, I don't think we ought to do that. And here's exactly why. If you actually show the, act, the realistic consequences to a person's actions, good or bad, uh, I find that that weaves in a much more believable uh, thought and a, basically a much more convincing way to get your point across. Absolutely, and it's, and it's, and it's action-based and not yes. you know, just a bunch of, somebody, bunch of people talking about an idea. No, and I think that's, that's very, very useful. Um, just in the little time we have left, you are authoring these books right now. You've finished the second one. I know you're working on a third one of the Chesterton yes. Chronicles. Yep. There are other books like these out there for, for parents. What would you recommend to parents who are looking for books like yours? Where do they well, go? It, sure, sure. There are a number of Catholic publishers that are doing stuff like this now. Um, I know that uh, Sophia was working very hard at putting out uh, various titles. Sophia first Press, publisher yeah. for the Young Chesterton Chronicles. My current publisher for the Emperor of North America, Bezalel Books, you can mm-hmm. get them at Uh They're putting out a lot of fiction as well that's Catholic-themed. Uh, you can go to your local Catholic bookstore and look at that. If, you don't, if you'd like to see a specifically Christian, but maybe not specifically Catholic, you have some authors like um, Stephen R. Lawhead, who looks at 
what they call high fantasy or um, historical fiction, where basically, you know, it's a realistic portrayal of the Christians as the good guys changing Europe for the better. Right. So those are some uh, places you can go for that. Okay, well, good. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I know we could spend all afternoon talking, and probably we will one day. Um, but uh, I, I hope that our listeners, a lot of them are parents. They have, I have two teenage boys, so this is, this is great. So I'm just going to the two suggestions, bezalelbooks.com, and also yes, look up Sophia Press. And, of course, you can learn more about uh, the work John is doing at his website, youngchestertonchronicles.com. I'm going to put that link on our site as well, saltonlighttv.org slash radio to make it easy for people to find. And I know that your books, John, are available at local Catholic bookstores all over, and they're also available through Amazon.com, correct? Yes, sir, that is correct. Well, thank you very much. John McNichol, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you today. Thank you so much, Pedro. Appreciate it. John McNichol, author of the Young Chesterton series. Here now is Chris Bray with the inspirational song of the year, Pursue Me.
相思。That was Chris Bray with "Pursue Me" from his latest album "Let Hope Arise," and singing with Chris is Marie Miller, another great Catholic singer. Chris Bray is probably the newest, freshest voice in the Canadian worship scene. Since starting as a life team music leader in his parish several years ago, his first album "Just Hang On" became one of the few crossover albums from a Catholic to the mainstream Christian market. The rest is history. In 2009, his song "Called" became the number one song for the More Radio Top 5 chart and stayed more than six weeks on the Top 30 radio chart. In addition, "Finally Let Go," the second single, went on to reach number one on the More Radio Top 5 AC Hits chart. That year, Chris Bray received the New Artist of the Year Covenant Award, and after seven more nominations this year, he's received two awards: Modern Worship Album of the Year for "Let Hope Arise." And inspirational song of the year for "Pursue Me," which we just heard. I spoke to Chris Bray earlier this week as he was just back from the award ceremony in Calgary. Hello, Chris. Welcome back to Salt and Light Radio. Thanks a lot. So, congratulations to Covenant Awards. Yes, I'm very excited. Thank you. So, um, the, the, these are your th your third awards. You you won New Artist of the Year in 2009, correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, And again, just to, to clarify, so worship album of the year for "Let Hope Arise," which was your your last album. Yep, modern worship album of the year. Modern right. worship album of the year, and then inspirational song of the year for "Pursue Me." That's right. Which is a song in that album. Correct. Okay. So, um, and and how 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 was that? How was going to Calgary for the? I mean, you've been to the award ceremonies before, but this this year being nominated for three awards. Winning two of them, how was that whole experience? It was incredible, um, and I mean, we we went. My wife and I, Katie, we went for a whole week, um, and it was a very busy week. We had a lot of stuff going on, uh, and there's the GMA conference that goes on, and then there's the award show, and we right. had some ministry stuff. And um, but the award show is, you know, they always do a, a great job every year putting that on, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's quite an event. And, There was some great performances. City Harmonic was there, Brian Dirksen, and uh, just yeah. you know so many other great, great Canadian artists uh, and groups. Um, and uh, and it was just um, being part of it is very inspiring as as an artist and being surrounding yourself with other people who are you know have the same passion and are trying to do the same thing and accomplish the same goal as you. So it's really really nice to be able to just meet and hang out uh, with those types of people and really connect that way on a, on a new level. So it was really, really, really good. So a big part of what happens is the whole networking thing. You mentioned the the, uh, the conference or the workshops. Tell us a little bit more about that aspect. Yeah, so they host, um, for artists specifically, they host sessions, um, all different topics on, you know, songwriting, uh, business aspects of it, you know, how to improve in your ministry, in your performances, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they, they host, they bring in different speakers to talk about that, and um, they talk a little bit about radio and, and all the different elements and aspects of, of being an artist and being in ministry. So, so that part of it's really informative, and, and it's, um, it's a great opportunity to ask questions and learn and, 
um, you know, the people that are giving the sessions, they've been doing this for years and years, and they know it inside and out, and they just, it's just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, and it was interesting, coming um, back to the Gospel Music Conference this year, um, because I was I was there in 2009 mm-hmm. as a new artist, as a fresh face, as someone who had never really experienced yeah. anything like that before. It was neat coming back yeah. um, after the travels that I've had in the last couple of years, and then seeing new faces that I, you know, I looked at them and I said, right. "Wow, I I know exactly how you feel because I was totally there and I was sitting in your shoes and and feeling the same thing and having the same questions and." Uh, so it was really kind of neat to come back with fresh eyes and experience it that way. Now, who attends these sessions? Is it is it just anybody, or is it mostly nominees or like professionals? Everybody, everybody. Yeah, I you know I connected with uh, artist friends of mine that have been doing this for many many years, and you know I met some new people that um, are just starting out or just working on the first record or, or don't even have a record out yet. And so there's all it's a wide spectrum of people that are attending this. Right. Um, uh, did you get to perform at all dur- during either the conference or at the award ceremony? I, I, I was part of it in two aspects. The, the Gospel Music Conference kicked off with a worship night. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was uh, really happy to be part of being able to lead worship with that with some other artists. And then the next night, uh, they always host uh, artist showcases all over the city. And I, I believe there was five different venues uh, this year that they had and. So uh, I performed right. there at a showcase as well with a bunch of other artists, and that was really cool as well. Yeah, and you had done that in '09 as well, I remember. Yeah. Um, wh- I know we've talked about this before, and I hate to bring it up again, but I think it's interesting, and, and, and for some of our listeners as well, I mean, the Gospel Music Awards is mostly not for, I mean, most of the artists that are there are not Catholic. You're right. Catholic. Um, I know Matt Marr won, uh, got an award as well. I don't know if he was there, but he's Catholic. Um, That's right. How is that dynamic while you're there? Is it is it something that's relevant, or is it just you know nobody cares? Um, I well I don't I don't know if people are necessarily aware of it like you and I are. Right. Um, it's interesting. The Toronto Mass Choir actually received yes. a bunch of awards as yes. well. Yes. Um, and uh, and then like you said, Matt Moore. And so there's you know we're definitely present. I I just don't think people are aware of it. But what's interesting, and I always find this when, whenever uh, you know I'm performing or, or doing ministry in a Protestant church, is you know they, especially if they don't know ahead of time, they they kind of look, they come back after the, the the service or or the worship event, and they you know they start talking to you about oh where are you from, what church do you go to, yeah. and you know w- once you minister to people and, and enter into worship together, there's kind of like this bond of trust mm-hmm. already. And then when they start asking you, like, well, what's your faith background? And you tell them you're Catholic. It's like, whoa, I didn't know Catholics worship like that. Right. And, and it starts this whole new dynamic, and it's really, really interesting to see. I see it all the time, and it's so funny because there's the, you know, it goes back to that, the Catholic stereotype that's out there. And, right. And it, it's really neat to be able to break those barriers yeah. down. No, that's good. I mean, you, you're part of that sort of trailblazing I guess for for Catholics, and you're right. Maybe maybe I should just not bring it up so much, and we should just ignore it because maybe it's not an issue. Um, we've been listening to some songs from this this new album, "Let Hope Arise," and tell us a bit about it. Like, what's different for this album for you? Uh, this album for me, I think, um, might show a little bit more maturity uh, in faith and and also music ability, and you know, it's something that I'm a little bit proud of because I, I think. Um, our faith journey needs to be a progression. We need to be um, working towards uh, 
holiness and and in our knowledge of Christ. And so, you know, I really strive for that in this album, in my writing and in the way that we, uh, in the production when we put it together. Um, there's a lot of songs on this album that, um, you know, there's some that are for congregational use that you'll be able to just put it on and worship to. There's others that are more um, inspirational songs or storytelling songs about, you know, something that um, maybe we struggle with or, you know, something that can lead us closer to Christ. So I think it's a good variety for, you know, the, the person that's looking for something that they can just worship with, close their eyes, raise their hands, or, or meditate to, or, um, you know, uh, just be able to, to listen and be inspired and encouraged with it. Right. So that's, uh, that's what I like about it. Yeah. Are, are, are there songs that people could use, in not to listen and do their own worship privately, but can use... At either, like you mentioned, congregational use, or that, that's mm-hmm. Mass, I guess, or for a worship yeah. session in church? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a passion of mine, and so I, I don't think I would be able to, I don't think I'd be capable of putting out a CD without yeah. at least one of those songs on it. Now, um, off the top of my head, uh, I wrote this song called We Receive, and mm-hmm. it's on the album, and I wrote it um, based on the Last Supper and, and our celebration of the Eucharist. Right, so and it could be. Uh, yeah, so that's, um, you know, I use that song a lot for communion. For communion. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, we we don't have a lot of time left, but uh, anything new? Any new recordings? Lots. I know you're. I know you're always writing songs, but any yeah. any uh, new projects on the in the works? Um, I you know, I've, like you said, I've been doing um, just a lot of writing recently. I'm not uh, necessarily in the mind frame yet to to put together my next album, although it's it's always kind of in the back of my mind. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm just just connecting with with some new people doing some writing and I'm always, always uh, looking for uh, new churches to travel to and do ministry um, and just be able to, you know, put on a worship event or, or whatever. I would always like to, to enter into worship with, with new faces. Yeah, no, excellent. Now that's a good place to end because I'm going to put in a plug for you. So to our listeners, if you're looking for a good uh, worship leader or someone to do ministry for your youth group or for any group in your parish, or, or school group, go to chrisbraymusic.com, find out about Chris. Uh, he's doing lots of good work. Uh, so keep it up, my friend. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I, you know, I appreciate uh, you having me on the show here. Not a problem. It's always fun to, to, have, to, uh, to have an excuse to chat with all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should tell you about, um, I'll be releasing a new single, um, and it's actually Here I Am, Lord, the cover tune from Dan Shute. Uh-huh. Um, I wrote a bridge to it, and we're. It's probably going to be the next thing. It'll be in January uh, that I'll be releasing it. So I'll give you the heads up about that. Oh, good. So send, out, yeah, send me a copy, it. and we'll play it. Okay, great. Okay, good. very good. Chris, it's been great speaking to you. Yeah, you as well. Thanks a lot, Pedro. That was Chris Bray, recipient of two Gospel Music Covenant Awards this year. For more information or to buy his music, visit him at chrisbraymusic.com. Here now is Chris with more each day. We're listening to Chris's song, 
more each day from his album Let Hope Arise and that will take us to the end of our program this week if you missed any portion of this program remember that you can stream or podcast all Salt and Light Radio programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and you can also listen to specific interviews just click on the featured artist link at the top to learn more about what we do here at Salt and Light go to saltandlighttv.org there's lots going on and don't forget to look us up on Facebook and Twitter and thank you for considering us when you make your charitable contributions we cannot do this work without your support and your prayers so thank you and God bless you I'm Pedro Guevara Man and this has been Salt and Light Radio give us the breath of life